So I think discipline gets you freedom. Mm-hmm. Point blank period. If you're able to be consistent, you're able to be disciplined enough um, in order to keep doing what you're doing, you know, uh, that equates equal success, in my opinion, at least from what I've seen. Hard work, work. Hard work. That's what they say. Hard work, work. Hard work. I earn my pay. Hard work, work. Hard work. Do it every day. Well, welcome once again to another Work Ethic Podcast, and I'm here today with my brother, Sakari, and I am super excited to introduce you guys to Sakari, who uh, actually is a uh, fellow uh, sorcerer with the VFriends community. Uh, This is actually how we got connected, and I've been just so uh, impressed with this brother so far. We've been building a relationship here over the last few months as we've been getting to know each other with the little cohort that we were kind of elected into. Um, he's, he actually just recently, uh, this week, I believe dropped a, uh, NFT project. Um, he is a, uh, time chef kind of restaurant food, uh, hospitality industry. I'm going to let him flesh that out a little bit more. Uh, so he can give you the actual, uh, picture of that, where I only have the broadest of brushstrokes. Uh, but Sakari, thanks so much for making the time. Why don't you just introduce yourself to everybody and we'll just kind of roll from there. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, my brother, uh, super duper humble to be here. Super duper excited. Um, yeah, man. My name's Sakari Smithwick. I'm 27 years old. I'm from Long Island, New York. And for the past over a decade, I've been working at some of the best restaurants in the world, um, all from starting off as a cook at McDonald's and, um, you know, I've been doing pop-ups, Noble Promise, uh, in the city. So Noble Promise is my name, Sakari, uh, in Swahili which means you have a promise in future and you keep to your word, uh, which is my brand and which is the project that we've, we've been working on. So uh, just pushing the brand forward, uh, making connections, making relationships and just introducing uh, good food, good experiences to our community. And uh, that's, that's really what we're focused on. So uh, super duper humble to be here, man. Man, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful we got this uh, time to chat. Um, so, well, I'll tell you what, um, why don't you... Let's do this. You said you started at McDonald's. Um, yeah. Was that your first job? Yep. First, first job. First job ever. You were how old? I was 15 years old. McDonald's was the only place that could hire those people that age. And I got hired on national hiring day for McDonald's. I literally saw a commercial. They said, come on in. I came in there on a suit. And they, <laughs> they, they looked at me like, this kid is coming to McDonald's in a suit. You're hired. <laughs> and then the rest was history, though. Well, tell me this. Um, before that, before mm-hmm. you had employment, let's say, so if that's your first job, paying job, employment, um, do you have any earlier? So, you know, this show is called The Work Ethic, and I'm really interested in like humans' relationship with work as such. And yep. we often equate that with employment, but I, I think that is just a subset of the things that we work on. Right. And I'm curious about your earlier years. So you're 15 at that point. Um, What is your earliest memories about, let's say the word work, the concept work, like the, try to think about where did the relationship with work and your awareness of work come from and how did you shape a definition maybe before employment? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say for me, you know, with work, it it all came from freedom. Mm. You know, I just wanted freedom. 
um, with anything that I do now, with everything, it's, it's been an ongoing thing for me. So at that time, what work equated to was freedom, right? Money equals freedom. Uh, basically, there was this, this tradition where my mom said that I had to go down to North Carolina every summer um, if I don't have a job, basically. So if you don't, if you don't have a job, you're going to have to go down, down South. And it was cool. It was great. It was one of the best experiences. It's one of the reasons why I became a chef. Um, however, at that time as a kid, you know, you want to go out and play, you want to go, you know, be with the cool kids and all these things. So for me, getting a job equated to freedom, you know what I mean? And, uh, throughout my career, everything has been about freedom. You know, the reason why I wanted to be the best was so people could leave me alone and, and not get yelled at when I was working at some of the most tough restaurants, you know what I mean? Um, became an entrepreneur early days for freedom, you know, uh, just for money. You know, I sold t-shirts that said, uh, I heart thirsty blank. I won't fill in the blank, but um, it was a, a <laughs> lingo that was, it was a lingo that was known in the high school. And I used to sell those t-shirts, you know, I used to sell alcoholic beverages on campus, uh, you know, did anything that I could for this quote unquote freedom. Um, you know, my earliest memories was like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was because, you know, nobody else would make it because they were busy and it was my first independent thing that I could do. Um, so just a lot of freedom, freedom and work kind of just went, went hand in hand together. All right. So I'm super fascinated with this. Um, let's, uh, I want to, I want to pick at it and unpack this a little bit based on what you said. So, uh, one, you said, well, work equaled freedom. And then you said money equals freedom. Well, if yeah. you take like a logic class, you go, well, if work equals freedom and money equals freedom, then work equals money. And so that like is, and, and, and as you flesh that out, strictly ties to financial, so money, financial gain and, and work. Um, and then I, and then, and then I'm curious. So like, and then you're, and then that equates to freedom, which, which I actually, it's interesting. I actually equate, this is like the, well, I would say the opposite of freedom, I would mm -hmm. say is what poverty is. So mm -hmm. the opposite of poverty isn't having money, it's freedom. Mm -hmm. But then you equated freedom of money. So I'm like, well, then it's having money. The opposite of poverty is having money. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I've, I have personally thought, mm, I don't think it's necessarily money. Um, and then I think like, well, there's things we put work into that are not employment or that don't mm -hmm. gain. Like maybe you worked out your muscles at some point right, or you worked right. at some skill or some sport yep. or you yep. worked on a relationship maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it, and you, and so I'm, I'm interested in the connection to work and freedom. I want to question the little so, piece about money in the middle, but it makes perfect it. sense in the context of our society, our economy, our culture yep. that yep. we do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to ask you to like challenge that thought and pick that apart a little bit. Yeah. So at that age for mm -hmm. me, work equaled freedom. Now a job work doesn't equal freedom at all because I've grown, I've learned, I've developed at that age when I was 15, you know, and I had no money income and I just had allowance or whatever the case was mm -hmm. for me, that equaled freedom. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what it was that's you know right. what I mean? at, that, at that age of 15 years old. I was like, I wanted to get any job that I could because I wanted some money. I went and I wanted to be during the summer. I wanted to be home so I could play with my friends and things like that. That's how it started. And money is um, the ability to buy what you need, go where you need to go. Freedom. Free, exactly. Get sent down South, whatever. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So at that age, that's what it was. It makes perfect sense. And then, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later, 
you know, you start to get educated on financial literacy, you start to get educated on, well, time is actually your most valuable asset and where you spend your time is actually gonna equate to where you are in the future. So you start to learn all these things and you start to study people that are, are amazing and doing great things. Um, and your perspective changes mm. with, with, how you, with how you grow. And, and, and that's how it's supposed to be, in my opinion. I love that. Um, what about um, your household, your folks, your community? What kind of um, work, employment things did, did you see around you? Yeah. Um, were, were kind so, of, yep. So I, I grew up with two parents that were both police officers. Both, so we're gonna, both police, both, okay. Both, both police officers. So we're going back to freedom again, right? Hmm. Um, you know, it was a very strict household. You know, my dad, he was like, you know, you can't go to the park unless I meet the parents. You know what I mean? Very old school, hmm. very, very like that. My mom, you know, very uh, energetic, let's say. She had a lot of energy, you know what I mean? And um, she came, you know, she came from working all the time. So a lot of my childhood was spent with my grandmother. Um, and then once they were able to have more free time, it was spent with my, my, my parents. Um, eventually they retired at like a younger age than most because mm. they've been doing it for so long. But, you know, for me, family drives me and there was a lot of discipline and that discipline has helped me be able to become successful in my career now uh, just from the, the role models that they were in a sense. You know what I mean? My, my dad didn't smoke or drink or anything like that. Um, he didn't use the N-word. He was African-American, like, uh, just stand up guy, you know, he did all these things that I didn't understand back then, but like, I understand now, you know, mm. people used to call him his middle name, Andre, right? His name is Nathan. He used to call him his middle name, Andre, because he only wanted certain people to know, uh, his real name and, and people that he met on the street, he would just give him middle name, you know, just these things that you're like, this guy's paranoid, but it just had, he had a purpose, <laughs> you know, he would circle the block two times. Like he would do all these, like, these stealth things that I didn't understand, but it was all part of his upbringing hmm. um, and, and all part of what he did. You know, he used to tell me stories about uh, the Black Spades. So the Black Spades was a gang back in the eighties. And, um, you know, these guys were like the real deal. And you always tell me stories about this and, and you know, all the crazy things he used to be into and how he became a police officer. He was a police officer in Rikers Island. Hmm. Um, so like, you know, he had, you know, everybody was scared of my dad, you know what I mean? And uh, they, they definitely gave me a, a great outlook on life. They taught me manners and respect. And then, and then obviously my grandparents, you know, my grandmother was a social worker. Um, so my grandmother was a social worker who was able to put me in, you know, she would bring me with, the, with her to these case calls, these case studies. I would go to these different living environments and I would understand how blessed I was, mm. you know? And then my grandfather was a Jamaican immigrant who, you know, he would eat the protein last at the meal because he didn't grow up having access to proteins like that because they couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? He would drink his, his glass of water last because, you know, they, you didn't have refills back then. You know what I mean? Um, so he just had a different outlook on life. He always saved money. He liked collecting things. Um, so yeah, everybody, you know, my entire household, my entire family really inspired me today. Man, that's a, uh... That's such an incredible kind of cluster of influences. Um, there's a yep. lot, there's a lot to unpack in there. I mean, even thinking about grandpa, you know, it's funny as you were like, he would drink, he would drink his water lakes. There was no refills. Like the word that comes to mind, right. Is conserve. 
um, mm-hmm. like to conserve resources when there's little resources. And, and, and then, and then, you know, as you go like a police family and discipline that overlaps with like some conservative frameworks and ethics, right? Like it's a, it's kind of like a, a conservative lifestyle. So like, like, like discipline, those kind of things, like maybe not in the political sense, but, but like in yeah. that, in the temperamental conservative sense or whatever, it's like, we're an orderly family, like, like in the, and, and then I'm curious. So one, there's a lot in there to like, think about, but the word discipline stood out to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious. Cause you said, man, my family drives me and we had lots of discipline. And then you fleshed out these, like these kind of ethics of the discipline and yep. of the family. And I'm curious as you started with freedom, how you, think about freedom and discipline so i think discipline gets you freedom mm-hmm. point blank period if you're able to be consistent you're able to be disciplined enough um in order to keep doing what you're doing you know uh that equates equal success in my opinion at least from what i've seen um so if you can be disciplined enough to go to the gym every yeah. single day if you can be disciplined enough to have a podcast or have consistent content um, if you can be disciplined enough to keep working at restaurants and showing up, you know, mm-hmm. on time and put in that work ethic, right, that we're talking about. If you can be consistent and disciplined, right, because discipline equals consistency, in my opinion, mm. uh, you, can, you can eventually have that freedom that you're looking for, right? So freedom equals, you know, financial wealth or freedom equals success or freedom equals you being happy, you know? Um, everybody's different, you know, maybe, maybe freedom to you is having a nine to five job, right? Uh, but you're having a nice house and you have a family um, and that you feel free when you're with your family. Whatever it is, freedom equals happiness, consistency equals discipline. That's, that's what I think about. Man, this is so good. So, um, all right. I'll probably like pick up some things like this because I just really get into like word choices and how we actually, I'm actually interested in teasing apart how we actually frame some of the things that we talk about. Um, but I also want to hear your story. So you go for McDonald's and then yeah. you, 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 can you kind of take us on your developmental journey and take as much time as you want? We got plenty of time, uh, just <laughs> through the, the kind of culinary development, like from, from McDonald's to where yeah. you are today. Like just, of course, I want to hear that narrative a little bit. Got you. So 15 years old in McDonald's, you know, I thought McDonald's was going to be my career. You know, I thought I was going to be a general manager at McDonald's. So the reason why I went to college hmm. was because the college was next door to a McDonald's. <laughs> yes. I, was I, like, I actually right. thought I was going to manage at Winn-Dixie, which was my first job too. I was like, I'm going to run the grocery store. Perfect. Yeah. I thought, you know, I thought, you know, they didn't want me to go to college. They didn't even want me to go to college. They're like, Sakari, you know, you could stay here and we can train you here. And I'm like, you know, my, my, my grandparents were very old school, so they kept pushing college. You know, I didn't want to go to college. They just kept pushing it. At that time, college slash education equated to success. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you have to go to college. You know, don't go to a community college. That's not good enough. You have just to go maps to, to those saving the water too. It's just like that. This is the way right. it's done. This is the, yeah. yeah, this is, this <laughs> like, is it. Like, this is the roadmap, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know what I mean? So from there, you know, the only thing I was good at was cooking. You know, I took a, I took high school culinary classes. You know, I had a teacher who hated my guts at first, right? And she, she walked past one day, because, you know, you only take cooking classes there as an easy A, you know, that's why I did it. So anyway, she walks past me one day and she's like, she stops and she says, oh my God, Sakari, you, 
you have a natural knack for this. There's mm. like, do you do you cook at home? And I hate like I don't want to say I hate it, but like we didn't get along. So I'm just like, yeah, like whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> next day, next day I see her in the hallway. Mind you, she never says hello to me. Hey, Sakari, oh my goodness, hi, how are you? And I'm just like, hi. Like, you know what I mean? It was just very odd, very weird. From that day on, she kind of wanted to help me in a sense because mm-hmm. I guess she saw potential. I wasn't really keen to that because obviously <laughs> I felt, you know, I don't want to say used, but it just didn't feel genuine. You know what I mean? Um, she recommends me for advanced cooking classes. Uh, I have advanced cooking classes from the lady, Miss Guchek, amazing lady. Uh, basically, in that class, I learned everything that you would learn for the first year of culinary school, right? So you go back to, you know, where I came from, Long Island, you know, I went to good schools, predominantly white school. You know, it was, I don't want to say it was segregated, but if you go into the commons, right, the commons, the whole way, half the people will be white and then the other half will be minorities. You know what I mean? And the only like minorities that would be on the white side would be the the athletes, really. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a segregated school, but it just happened to be like that. You know what I mean? Um, but with the, I say that to say that I, I grew up in a, in a, I went to a well, well, like a good school. We lived on the border of, um, you know, a, a bad neighborhood, but it was right on the border where we were able to go to a good school. So anyway, I was able to get the, the, the education that I needed for the first year of culinary school in high school. So in return, that made me realize like, okay, cooking is something I could do. And two, when I went to when I went to culinary school, I was already ahead of everybody because I learned all this stuff. I learned about what a bechamel sauce is, the five fundamental sauces. I learned how to saute. I learned how to do these things. So I was taking school like a joke, really. I was like, I got this. This is easy. You know what I mean? I'm about to get kicked out at the time. Wait, can I, pa- can I pause you? So remember, yeah, you're about please. to get kicked out. Let's, let's time out real quick. I okay. want to just pause you and ask you a question about something you said, because I know this is like going to, there's a story. It's going to keep going. Um, you said the only thing I was good at was, at was cooking yep. and I, and I just wanted to time out real quick and go, is that true? And, and what's like, I was, what's, I was bad what's emotionally behind that a little bit? You know what I mean? Yeah, like I was, I was terrible at sports. I'm a short kid. So the, I, I was told I was supposed to do football. I did mm-hmm. football, trash at it, did soccer, trash at it. Uh, I did, I did track. They didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't cut you. That's the reason why I did track. I did it to lose weight. And uh, I was the yep. worst kid. I was the worst kid on the team. My last name is Smithwick. Every time I used to show up to practice, they would call me Smithwick, damn it. Because they'd be like, damn it, he's still here. He's not going away. They used to call me herpes because you couldn't get rid of me. That's like, really, really <laughs> <my cook here. laughs> I'm sorry. I know that hurt like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this going on? He's an Olympic coach. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's a, it's a, this is a good school. So we were able to have really good resources. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, okay. And I, and our and our coach was like an Olympic coach. He, his son was in the Olympics. Like so, this mm. dude was hardcore. You know what I mean? So all the workouts that we did were really well, and you know, undefeated. We were undefeated and all these things. Um, but I was bad at it. The only thing that I was actually good, I was bad at sports. The only thing I was good at is selling mm. and cooking. That's it. The two things: selling and cook. And and I knew how to dress because my father was from Harlem, and and in Harlem you get fly. So what happened is when you live in the city, when you live in the city, everything has to match. That's how he came up. So in Long Island, though, I used to get teased for this. I would have matching sneakers with matching shirts. That's what I was known for because nobody else was doing these things. Because not, you know, it just mm-hmm. was unheard of. And, you know, the people used to be like, 
Sakari, why does your shoes match your shirt? <laughs> like, all I have is two pairs of shoes. That's all you need. You know what I mean? My grandfather is very similar. Like, why are you spending all this money on shoes? My father came from a different culture. You know, he was like, no, you have to be fine. Appearance matters. You know, hygiene matters, all these things. So it was just how I was raised, man. Okay, so so I'm so glad I asked you that. So that made a lot of sense of the kind of like what I don't feel like I'm enough at or good at and like the uh, the, the picking on. But then you yeah. go, well, there was a couple other things, actually. I was fly, I could sell, and I could cook. <laughs> and this yeah. maps to where we're going to go. Okay, back right. to I'm about to get kicked out. All right, because I yeah. was like, it's, yeah, there you go. There you that, go. That's, that's great. great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is good. This is good. So I'm about to get kicked out. I get introduced to my fraternity at the time, Landau for Upsilon. And uh, they represented to me just like bigger bro- like role models. They were, you know, the, the kid, the, the guys that were, you know, dancing on campus. They were professional. They had ties and all these things. Um, I got introduced to them and they were able to break down why you should be in school at a different way than most people do. You know, like if you hear from your parents, you're really not going to listen to it versus you hear from somebody that's around your age group that manage themselves in a well way, people respect them, you, you would heed to it a little bit more. Who's this group again? Uh, Lambda Alpha Upsilon, it's my fraternity. Okay. So it's a national Latino fraternity, Afro-Latino fraternity. Um, you know, there were, there were African-Americans and Latinos in the fraternity, stuff like that. I went to an interest group. Um, you know, I got interested into it and that gave me something to look forward to. You know, that, that group gave me something to, to want to do almost, right? And my, my GPA at that time went from, because you need to make grades. They, they also had the highest grade requirement to be a part of their, their fraternity on the let, campus. Let me, let me just share something with you real quick. So, because I, I don't know a lot of fraternity stuff, right? But like yeah. I, I went to college mm-hmm. and, and I was, you know, fraternities throw these parties, this, that, and the other. But, there, but, but across the hall in the dorm um, was one of the like, I don't know the positional, but one of the like leaders point people, big brothers, yeah. whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, with five beta sigma. So this is this, so sigmas would gather over there a I lot. Sigmas, yep. And I had this very interesting experience. Cause I, so to me, just as like an outsider of mm-hmm. all this stuff, I was like, man, fraternities are ri- ridiculous. Like I, mm-hmm. like, but what I realized from knowing this neighbor and these brothers was like, yep. no white fraternities are ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and actually, cause these dudes, like when you're, as you're sharing this, you're like, um, it was kind of Afro Latino kind of yep. group, right? Brotherhood. Yep. This fraternity I saw, I was like, I've never seen, I've never seen a more disciplined group of people. This was a mill. I mean, they party like crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were yep. militant yep. in yep. or and orderly. Yep. And, and I, I mean, I was, and by the way, I knew like, I can't join this group, but like, mm-hmm. I would kill to be part of a brotherhood like this. Cause it was like, <laughs> uh, it was something real and powerful. And I was just a neighbor to it. But for those listening that maybe don't know the, that distinction, or I just, just want to go, here's my vantage point on that. And then to go, yeah. Like, obviously, you know, the same thing, because as you're as you're fleshing this out, you're like, what they taught me was there's a reason to be here. There's a purpose for this. There's discipline. Like, as you're sketching this out, it, and it's actually interesting, like the way that your family bless you with discipline, 
your brothers yeah. bless you with discipline. Yeah. And, and I feel like this is all part of a developmental story of like this life of discipline, which I, I think is so anyway, sorry to keep interrupting, but I, I'm like, this is, oh, I, I want to just illuminate it for people listening, right. That, that, that don't know these things, but continue. That's, that's incredible. I mean, you know, in order to be in a fraternity, you have to have a lot of discipline, you know, that very militant style is, is kind of how I grew up with as well. You know what I mean? And, and, that's the one of the reasons why I was able to pledge and, and actually make it through. Cause you can pledge and you don't make it through, you know, you don't get chosen or whatever the case is. You go through these weird, you know, whatever it is, things and <laughs> go through a process and you come out on the other side, a better person. That's, that's the idea. You know, you create this brotherhood for me. They taught me business. They taught me how to network. They taught me how to speak. They taught me how to communicate with others. Um, they told me how to not give up on my dreams and my goals and whatever that case is and really pushed you, you know, the things that was already in you, they just kind of push it out of you. They poke at you a little bit. Um, and, you know, from that, I created relationships where, you know, one of, for example, one of my brothers, um, you know, one of my big brothers, basically, he got me a job at a catering hall. So I was, I was like 16, 17 years old, still working at, I think while I was in college, I was still working at McDonald's and I was working uh, at a, a food hall, basically. So, so what I would do is when I would come home during the summers and, and for breaks, right, I would work at McDonald's during the day. And then I would work at, actually I had three, did I have three jobs at that time? I think I had three jobs at that time because we're talking about work ethic. So I really want to point into work ethic. By I the way, I, I'm sorry. I, this might even be really wrong because you referenced like, was it dad that was Jamaican or grandpa that was Jamaican? My grandpa, and yeah. I immediately thought of the Jamaicans on In Living Color that when you just do, do you know that did you watch a living color yep 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 do you remember this family and so like anyway sorry it was just like i just put those together whatever sorry this is like a <laughs> no hilarious worries. like yeah i had three jobs of course you did you lazy yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah i had three one, one job was in the morning like like early in the morning then i went to mcdonald's at night and then and then i also did the i was a server during the weekends things like it. that I love it. So I was doing all these three things. And then eventually I, I quit the deli job. I was working at McDonald's. Um, what else happened? Eventually I wasn't making enough money. I went full-time into the catering and I was basically a chef throughout the week. And then on the weekends, I was a server. Basically that's, that's how it happened. But I said, mm. all I have to say, I got that job from my, my, my fraternity brother and they just became a, a great source. But anyway, back, back to cooking, right? Back to cooking. I, I ended up being student chef of the year. I, um, you know, joined the hot foods team, which was like the culinary team. I won a gold medal for Team USA um, my senior year. I got chosen as a, the lead, a leadership award. Basically, it's, it's you only get one per, per year. And um, it's the hospitality, it's the hospitality award. You know what I mean? I'm going up against people that were bred to be hospitality people and all these things. And I ended up getting it, um, which was incredible. And um, yeah, after that, I... I during that time, I got introduced to fine dining. There was this club called a Scoffier Club, where with the Scoffier Club, they actually pay for you to go to eat at a fancy restaurant. I go to this fancy restaurant, my life changes forever, because then I get introduced to fine dining. They crumb your table, they hold out your seats, they take your jacket, they treat you like royalty. I've never been treated like this. Mm. I thought, you know, the best places were Red Lobsters and Ruth Chris's and Cheesecake Factories and all these things. My mind's blown. I said, okay, I have to work in these types of places. So I work at Morea, which at the time had two Michelin stars. A Michelin is basically, what that is, is it's, an, it's one of the highest accomplishments that you can get, basically. 
where Michelin Tires, the guide, they, they give a list of restaurants for people to visit. And that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And now it's literally the end-all be-all for the top of the top. Said, yep. You know what I mean? So I worked in Maria two years. Um, from being in track and just from my career, I just wanted to be the best. So I went from Maria to 11 Madison Park. 11 Madison Park at the time was the number one restaurant in the world. It had held three Michelin stars, which was the highest award that you can ever get. It was from a chef that's from Switzerland. People traveled from all around the world to work at this restaurant. Um, I knocked on the door. I heard no a thousand times. I did everything that I could. I tried to add to everybody that I could. And uh, eventually I heard a yes. Uh, there was somebody that was from Long Island that was from a rival school of mine. And he helped me get the job, basically. I went in and, you know, they, they didn't even, when I went in, they didn't even tell me I got the job. They just said, hey, keep calling. If you want this job, just keep emailing me. I kept did it, doing it, and eventually I'm in the number one restaurant in the world, a very seclu- exclusive group of people, the best of the best. Everybody there was, almost everybody there was incredible. You know, I mean, you're talking about- <laughs> yeah, like, you I know. remember that one dude, but- <laughs> Yeah, that one, you know what I mean? But I, I, I'll give you an example. I'm working next to this dude that's like 30 years old. I'm 20 something at the time, right? I'm working next to this dude that's 30 years old. He has a restaurant in London. He's already had- received the Michelin star he's here just to learn and he's beating everybody by miles like literally and this dude's right next to me you have access to that you have access to the best people in the world these became my lifelong friends you know what I mean and they've helped me great get great opportunities so on and so forth I get burnt out from there I went on a black uh, chef's food tour worked for some of the best black chefs in America I really wanted to understand my culture uh, after that, I, I missed fine dining. So I helped a friend out, uh, basically, where it was him and I cooking in the kitchen for 30 seats, you know, just him and I basically, you know, chef's table. He came from a uh, built on chef's table house, which was three Michelin stars. I came from 11 Mass Park, which was three stars. We came from really good restaurants. We ended up getting a star. That's my point. We ended up receiving a Michelin star. So at 24 years old, I received a Michelin star. That's a huge deal. People that are 40, 50 years old, they don't receive this accomplishment. It's a huge deal. A restaurant closes. A restaurant closes because marketing, online presence, location, all the business aspects of everything. So from that point, I realized, well, one, I need to keep growing as a chef, but two, I need to understand business. So that chef helped me get to Europe. I worked out in Europe at the third best restaurant in the Netherlands. Um, you know, went through some crazy times out there. Uh, pandemic hit, I'm, I'm out there stuck. Eat PB and J's, you know what I mean? Just every single day sandwiches, uh, you know, doing what I can. And um, basically from Gary V, you know, understanding business. And the only reason I started watching Gary V, well, one, I got recommended from someone else, but you know, the main gist of it was because it was free. And as a black person, you just want everything free. The moment you hear money, you don't want that shit. So it's just like, well, it was free. Me too. You know yeah, I mean? it for was sure. Free. So I was like, all right, great. If it's free, it's so for me. Let's go. I learned, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So I learned, I learned business um, from there. And then obviously the pandemic hits. I had a lot of self-reflecting to do. I had this dream concept in my brand for years. I always knew that the restaurant was going to be called Noble Promise since I was a kid. Like I already knew that. Uh, but it's finally when it went into action was during the pandemic. Came back and then just been hitting the ground ever since. God, such an incredible story. So I, there's plenty in there to ask you about. Um, I'm curious about the, specifically the Black Chef Tour. Um, was that a self 
constructed thing or did you participate in something that was called no, it, was self, it was no 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 it was self-constructed you just found them said hey can i come check you out what yep. yeah so can you just like talk about that experience a little bit so i i had a hunch it was something you did rather than signed up for and then yep. i was like okay so what did that look like and yep, what so, prompted it and yeah yeah so for me i got introduced to my, the first black chef i got introduced to was, was chef mark anthony Bynum. He's one shot three times and he's on Long Island, um, you know, celebrity chef, whatever the case is. I, I worked in his restaurant, you know, going through that real life experience of the restaurant with him really helped me get student chef of the year, get this award, get that award, da, 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 through my experiences with him. He was a black owner that, you know, ran his restaurant. And, I, and basically the way that I got the job or whatever there was I walked in and said, hey, I want to learn from you. You know what I mean? And everybody stopped chopping. They were chopping their vegetables. I come in, everybody's just like, wait, what? Who the fuck? Like, who is this kid? You know, come in here. So I work for free. I work for free there. And, um, you know, I came in, I would come in after the shifts. When, when, the, when the shift was closing down, I would come in after the shifts. And basically I was learning more things than the cooks there were learning because I was working with him hands-on. From that experience, I realized like I need to work with hands-on chefs. I need to work with the chef itself. So he was the first African-American chef from there. And I was like, you know what? I want to learn more about my culture. You know, so I went out to Seattle to, to learn from Eduardo. I went out to Washington, D.C. to learn from Kwame Iwanchi, um, two prominent African-American chefs. Came back to New York and I worked for Chef JJ, JJ Johnson, um, who's also a, a well-known African-American chef. And that's where I met Omar Tate, who, who was like a rising star chef, Esquire chef of the year, you know, pop-up of the year, time 100, like all these great things, you know, I tell this story all the time, but when you grow up in, in the really fancy restaurant, the, the 11 Madison Parks, you know, you have to be clean shaved. I met this guy, Omar, he has a beard like yours, and I immediately judged him, immediately. And I was like, who is this guy? This guy ended up being one of the most influential people in my life. He told me about black storytelling. He told me about he told me about our culture, our history, um, and how important it is to tell stories. So if I didn't go through those experiences, I wouldn't be who I am now because my entire mission is is focused and based around that. You know, it was what kind of chef am I? Who am I? And it turned into this is who I am, and I need to tell these stories. You know, um, that's how that's how it happened. Man, dude, so. Feel like that's such a in in how long how long of a time is that that tour that that a few months a few months. months so it's not a tremendous amount of time in each of these spaces but yo can I come spend a week with you a week all you need you, is one day a day and, with you all you need all you need is a day because when you've worked at some when you've worked once you understand the basics mm -hmm. you can immediately understand what you're getting yourself into mm -hmm. what it is from from jump. You, you see know, the difference. You see the decisions, the choices that are made. The, you already yeah. know. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like Gordon Ramsay says it. He's like, he knows a chef within 30 seconds. You know, I can walk into a place and I know exactly if it's going to have good food or not. You know, like, it's just, it's just the, the, the sixth sense that you have from working as a chef. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was able to do. Now, is it right all the time? Of course not. You know what I mean? Sure. But what I saw with the, with with the reason why I ended up staying in New York with with JJ and, and and Omar was because Omar took on the role 
to say, hey, I see you're doing things with Noble Promise. I'm doing things with Honeysuckle. Let me teach you. He, he took on that role as a mentor. You know, a lot of the other chefs were too busy. They, they didn't have the time for it. Omar took on the role. And uh, I, I owe him so many flowers for that. How long did you kind of stay like uh, side by side with him? Or in so, that kind so of intentional? Left, so, so when I left, I, I ended up leaving because I, like I said, I missed fine dining. I missed the, the, the essence of that. When I was leaving, he said, look, I understand you're leaving, but we need to keep in contact. This is the next event I have come to this event. And basically I was working with him while I was doing my own thing. Mm. So I, I continuously still work with him. You know what I mean? Um, if he has an event, I'll work with him. Like he took me out to different events and he introduced me to other prominent black chefs and he's just been a great guiding figure, you know? Even even now, you know, he he's he's working on some things and he still gives me his resources. He still gives me advice. If I call him for advice, he's still there. So uh, it's important to have people like that in your life. So important, man. It sounds like such a valuable kind of mentor. And I mean, like the 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 call back to like, storytelling our culture our people um and knowing kind of what what you then decide to kind of double down on and work on moving forward and what you've been working yep. on recently is is ecstatic i'm a little curious in the narrative then you went i was working in this fine i encountered fine dining i hadn't grown up with that it, it changed mm -hmm. my life blew my mind mm -hmm. um entered into that world had like the tippy top mm -hmm. of opportunity in that which yep. is incredible but then went you know i want to connect with black chefs and i go on this yep this tour but then you i miss fine dining the implication of that is when i went and visited black chefs i wasn't in fine dining yeah. and and i wanted and then when you and so i'm just i wanted to hear about that distinction so it's implied and go i was with them that's so those are not fine dining is what basically yeah. is the implication yeah. of that and i'm like talk to me about that like why What's what is that what are the observations there uh, what yep. did that mean when you said not this, that, like, yep. what's the, yeah. Like unpack that a little bit. So you're going from, <laughs> it's a learning lesson and everything. Right. And it, it's a beautiful experience. And I think that if, if you're a young cook or a young chef listening to this, I think that you have to go through these different experiences mm. in order to figure out who you are and what's best for you. Um, you're go I'm going from at that time, the best restaurant in the world. I mean, a multi-million dollar kitchen, a million dollar stove. I mean, everything is clean three times a day, like very, very disciplined, very strict mm -hmm. to something that is not like that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot more carefree, a lot more fun focused, a lot more, you know, free, things like that. Even in Europe, you know, it was a different demographic as well. When I worked mm -hmm. down in Europe, you know, that's when I really, let me answer your question first. So the difference is basically just the level of expectation. Sometimes people can put out food that's okay and it will be okay versus, you know, at that high level, if it's not perfect, quote unquote, then it has to be redone. Yep. Um, so just high level, high standard, you know, a lot of love, a lot of passion and those types of things. So it was, it was just very, two different things. It was very my, different. My, my guess would be, I mean, I immediately went, the thing I assumed was even just type of- I'll cuisine. tell you type of cuisine right like these are well, yeah yeah but that's but not it because you can do it. this there and that. this yeah. okay okay the okay. main the main the main i think the thing that really touched me what i realized was that the reason one of the reasons why i missed it is that when you work in regular kitchens you're surrounded by people that might not be as passionate as you about cooking that environment 
isn't as beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. When you're working at the top of the top, everybody there looks good. When I was in Europe, I'm working harder than I was ever. Everybody there worked hard. Everybody there cared. Everybody there loved. Everybody there. It wasn't just a job. Yes. Now this is their vocation, their calling, it, their passion. It was whatever. The, everybody. So it be created this creative hub of passion, love, and fun. When you work at places that some or most of the people are doing this to get a paycheck, the environment isn't the same. The love, the passion's not there, and it's just not as fun. So that's that's really what the key indicator was. When you work, when you're working at these top places, everybody there wants to be there, versus when you're working at these other restaurants people are there because they have to be there and it's it's a two different environments all right i'm so glad i asked you that and got to this answer because this is kind of back to the freedom money work piece where i'm like well if money's not an issue what's the thing you're going to do and it's like oh those are cute questions that your school teacher can ask you but we need to pay some bills out here right and mm -hmm. so it's like sure but it's actually an interesting question where it's like well what are you built for what are you called to? What are you passionate about? What are you like gifted and good at? And you go, and you go, yeah, like actually in those environments, these are people that uh, have a, something has a hold of them beyond this isn't a job. I, they don't wake up on Monday and be like, Oh God, I got to go in there today. Uh, it's like, it's like, actually, I don't want someone to limit the out. Cause this is how I think about kind of my work. Uh, is like, I've never been, and this will make sense to you. I think I've never been that interested in conversations about work-life balance. Um, mm -hmm. I, I get it. And I, I get that conversation and I'm like, yeah, don't, don't like grind yourself to whatever mm -hmm. dust or whatever. However, like I think of like an artist and I, I was an artist most of my life. I actually was did visual art until I got too busy with everything else. And I was like, if I'm in the middle of a painting that I'm like pouring my soul into, do not interrupt me to come get dinner. Do not ask me to go like, literally, like I'm not yeah. interested in any yeah. friends. I'm not yeah. interested in what there's no such thing as, you know, flow state, right? There's no time. Yeah. I'm like captivated by the thing, yeah, the idea that I want to clock out. Uh, if I want a 40 hour work week while I'm working on my masterpiece is insane yeah. to me. Yeah. And yeah. actually it's insulting. It's like, do not limit yeah. the amount of energy I pour in to my calling yeah. and my work. And then you go, man, there's this creative hub of passion, vocation. So this is interesting because it's not the same as going, you know, uh, high standards, disciplined, the best of the best, and like, not so much. Where it's like, no, you might have a passionate chef and a beautiful art and like total organic, more community based, or like, there's like a million different variations there. But the, the way you articulated that to go, it's passionate, it's fun. It's a group of people all called to this, that it's like, this isn't a matter of the paycheck. This isn't a matter of anything outside of ourselves, but we're internally motivated by something. One is super compelling. And I, and I, and then I want to pull back to like, it's very interesting to me when I think of the words amateur and professional, because these are the professionals in this space. Mm -hmm. Right. But mm -hmm. amateur actually comes from the word love, like a more, uh, whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's like mm -hmm. someone who does it for the love of me, not paid. And usually paid means professional. So like, the person doing it for their job to clock out and go home and do whatever else they really want to be doing is the professional technically, but mm. the picture you painted of the professionals were all amateurs mm. in the sense of like, I, I get you, I get you understand. And so yeah. then I'm going, man, like, um, that's true and beautiful in the kitchen. And I think maybe one of the most beautiful articulations that I've heard of a community of conviction and passion, 
But even just like in the abstract of that, I'm like, I think we all want that. And you actually have tasted it. And I want to like go like just double down on that for those listening. In, in, in this is your sports team. This is your crew. That's what I'm saying. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. Like, like when you decide to work at these high level places, it's like going to the professional league. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's like going to the NBA. It's like going to the NBA, MLB. Like we have po- like we have pre-shift meetings. We have post-shift meetings. You know what I mean? Everybody comes together. It's a team sport mm-hmm. when you're talking about that level. Now, of course, there's amateur and there's professional and things like that. You can be a professional cook. You can be a professional chef. There's been times where a professional chef has came, let's say, to be drafted or to be chosen to be on the team, mm. and they can't, they can't keep up. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be this high echelon chef, and then they come and they can't perform. Um, it's just that next level. Like we're all professionals, mm-hmm. right? But this is this is that this is that team. This is that league. This is the MLB. This is the NBA. This is going to, this is like you made it in a sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the crazy thing now, right, when we get to that point, mm-hmm. is that when you quote unquote make it or when you go to the league or you go to the team at this professional level, everybody there works hard. Mm-hmm. Everybody there wants to be there. You wouldn't be on the team if you didn't. However, there's, there's special people now. There, there's the people that, they're, they're in the gym shooting all day. Mm. Some, some people aren't, aren't doing that at these high level. So, so you still understand that you're special. And what I realized was that, oh, wait, I'm special because I'm not just here for, I'm not just here until whenever they tell me I have to go home, I'm thinking about how I can become better every single day. I'm shooting in the gym like Kobe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 4 a.m., whatever the case is. And then that's, that's when I really embodied like, oh, I'm, I'm a different breed. Um, and, and that kind of transpired into doing everything that I'm doing. All right. So for those listening then let's sketch out everything that you're doing then. Cause this is like, I mean, it's just such an incredible journey you've been on and it's very clear talking to you, like what it's built in you. Now, what are you building with what's been built in you? Like, what are you working on? Yeah, of course. So I'm right now I'm working on, so I think it's very important to pivot. Uh, it, it started off as Noble Promise the brand, right? Which was our focus is and was is just to introduce fine dining to black and brown communities. You know, okay. um, introducing access to this my story, right? Didn't have access to it, you know. Uh, got introduced to it, changed my life forever. I want to be able to provide jobs. I want to be able to provide this access to healthy food, to delicious food, to great experiences, um, to my people, you know, to everyone, but to my people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as an entry point, as an entry level. I got introduced to NFTs and realized that this technology can build your brand and help you push you forward, similar to when the internet came out, similar to when YouTube first came out, um, when Instagram came out, you know, any type of platform, you know, this can help me push what I was already, was already in the plans. So what I realized was that Everything's about selling. You can be a great chef, but if you're not able to tell your story, you can only go but so far, you know? Um, Everything's about selling. So what I realized, especially learning from Gary, was that, you know, this restaurant concept needs to be a media company first, right? Mm -hmm. So it can't just be a restaurant. You need to create content for the restaurant and you as a chef and everything that you're trying to do. So I started doing that under the Noble Promise umbrella and then that transpired into No Promise Studios, 
which is basically, you know, our media company where we, we tell stories of whether it's chefs or different artists, um, help them tell their story, help showcase them um, and help further it along. The way it started, you know, the best way that I could, I, could, I could put it for people to understand in short is like, think Rockefeller back in the day. This is Rockefeller Records. That's all it is. Um, I, I, I partnered up with a few of my friends that I thought was talented. And I said, listen, nobody's given me opportunities. All these great things have happened in my, in my career, but I had to fight for all these things. Mm-hmm. Nobody's given me opportunities. Um, let's create our own. Let's have ownership. You know, and that's, that's literally how it started. Uh, so I use, I'm using NFTs now as a way to build this platform, No Promise Studios, right? Where we showcase our art and we use it as a platform um, for emerging artists. You know, I didn't want to just be able to become this celebrity chef and, and then look around and nobody came from where I came from uh, was up there with me. Because I really believe in myself. I understand that I'm going places and all these things. I didn't want to look around and be alone, you know? I wanted to be able to be around people that I felt either deserve to be up there or I felt are doing great things. So I caught up a few of my buddies, you know, Kelsey Giddings, an amazing artist, Moshe Douglas, uh, he's owner of a fashion brand called Peace and Parmesan. He sold an NFT for 1.2 million. However, his NFT that he sold, he didn't really reap any of those benefits because he was just the artist in that. Um, it, it all goes back to ownership. I want to be able to showcase these people, you know what I mean? While I'm building what I'm building. Uh, with Noble Promise. So came together, we created this NFT project, right? Where basically all their artists showcase, they get even distributed uh, a cut of it, right? So even though I'm the founder, I'm not saying, hey, you get 10%, you get 20%. No, it's all even, right? You And you get to retain ownership of your art. I'm not taking your royalties from your art. I'm not taking ownership of your art. This is, this is literally a platform for you to showcase your art. And I'm attaching it with my brand. So in return, gives value to the people that are, are holding this, this, this NFT or buying this NFT. So what does that mean, right? That means that when I do a pop-up, maybe I just want to do a pop-up where, you know, it's exclusive to our member holders. You know, maybe I want to be able to give free food away only to people that hold my NFT. It's something, what I realized with NFTs is that you can build on top of it. You know what I mean? And uh, it's something that is attached to my brand. It's something that was already in the works. And it's something that I am going to work on for the rest of my life. This isn't a, this isn't a fad. And I'm just going to be like, oh yeah, this is cool. Like next thing, like, you know what I mean? How people yep. just, it's the next girl. It's no, no, no. This is a marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is tatted on me. This is, this is my life. This is, this is my brand. This is my name. It's my reputation. Um, the concept can change. You learn more information, it can change. When yep. you're working with these high level chefs, things change all the time. Dishes change every single day. Menu items change every single day. Maybe you want to do it this way. Maybe you want to do it that way. That's all part of being an operator, a founder, a leader, an executor. But at the end of the day, Noble Promise is not going anywhere. Um, and the goal is for after I die and I'm in the ground for it to still be here. You know, that's what, we, that's what we're all working towards is legacy. You know what I mean? My father, I'll give you an example. My father passed away and, you know, one of the worst things ever. And we turned him into our mascot for the project, Noble Nate. He was one of the most noble people that I, I, I've, I've mm. encountered in my life. Now, after I'm gone and after he's gone and, and so on and so forth, this legacy is going to live on forever. So that's why we're doing it. That's the reason why. It's for legacy. Um, we're trying to change the world and we're just trying to 
change the world in a positive way. You know what I mean? Um, I think being noble is a beautiful thing. I think that it's about having honor, living with good kindness, all the things that Gary speaks about, all the things that I believe in. Um, it's just being a good human being. And I want to build a brand around that. I want to build a brand. I want to build a restaurant environment around that. I want people to be able to come into that and 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 enjoy their job and, and love what they're doing. Um, so much, but that's it. Man, this is uh it's just such an incredible um effort and place you come to. And even as you're talking about what you want to build it into and saying this is what I aim at, and it's a it, when you said it's a marriage, it really sunk in as like well, a marriage is a noble promise. Like the, when you, when, when, when you actually said, <laughs> when you actually said, uh, you said, is it, you said Sakari is Swahili. Is that right? Yeah. For yep. noble yep. promise. Yep. yep. And then you, and then I, I was looking for my notes as you were talking. I can't find it. Cause I wrote so much down as you've been talking. I don't know. I can't see where I wrote it down, but you said it was something like about, a future that you aim at and keeping your word or something like that. Like I, how did you so say that? Is, it's a, it means that you have a promising future that you keep to your word. And, I, and, and then as you flesh out the thing that you aim at and I go, and you're like, it's tattooed on me. This is a marriage. This isn't a, like, yeah. we're going to figure this out, but this is the thing we're doing. We're going to, we're going to move this along. That's, and, I, and yeah. not, not to interrupt you real quick. No, that's please. The reason, that's, that's the reason why I got to where I am now is because I, when I was born, I was given this name, a weird name, Sakari. And then my mother tells me, mm -hmm. this means noble promise. This means you have a promising future and to keep to your word. So from out the womb, I felt I was destined for greatness. Mm -hmm. I just believed it. And then you have a, a loving mother, you know what I mean? Showed up to everything, was always there for me, whatever the case is. She's implant, like pounding this into my head, like, no, no, no. No, 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 baby. You, you have a promising future and you got to keep to your word. It's what I transpired into is do what you said you would do. That's it. That's it. And that's what I've been doing. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. And it's, we're going to do it for the rest of our lives until I'm on the ground. So um, you said that you, at one point in this, you're like, well, then I became aware of NFTs and you, and you kind of moved through this, but I wanted to kind of like double click back to that and go, how did that happen? And, and yep. what was, what was it that clicked for you? So I followed, so I followed Gary V yep. everything Gary, v, I won't say everything. Most of Gary V thinks his predictions is right. So yeah, I was, he's I was pretty good. <laughs> pretty, it's pretty spot on. Yeah. He predicted, he predicted the sports cards. Right. So I went all in on sports cards that made some money. Um, I was able to even give him a sports card with the hopes that I can get a mentorship one day. I gave <laughs> him my most rare rookie card, which was a 1948, uh, George Mike and rookie card, which was the first celebrity basketball player. I gave it to him because I thought that I knew that he would want it. And um, I wanted, I wanted to give it to him as a way for him to remember, me, you know, cause I felt like I want to get this mentorship somehow, some way, and I'm going to give him this card. Uh, fast forward, Gary comes out talking about NFTs and I don't get it. I have no idea what NFTs are. I'm like, this is stupid. So I start telling people that I start telling people that I think it might help. I'm like, hey, this guy, Gary's always right. Maybe you should look into NFTs. And then, and then Gary breaks it down. I'm like, this is for everyone. And I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean? <laughs> you, like, you could be a chef and this could be for you too? So he comes out with a project. Uh, the entry cost is $1,500. It comes on live. 
and I've never seen so much conviction in my life for what he was saying. He's like, listen, this is going to be the best investment in your life. Da, 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 da. Craziness. I don't have any money. Um, mm-hmm. I end up calling up a buddy. I said, hey, I need to get $1,500 as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So I ended up helping him. I basically work in a Chinese sweatshop. Like I literally, I, 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 yeah, I literally, I, it's in the back of a Chinese restaurant. We're doing catering for the pandemic. I mean, 200 mils to like work. It's like a to-go kind of out. To-go thing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. The, the workspace <laughs> is like this small. Everybody's like, you know, like I said, Asian and just running around with cleavers. And I mean, you know, it's 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 like I'm working in a Chinese like sweatshop, a Chinese yeah. restaurant. There's, you know, it's crazy. Mind uh-huh. you, I came from working at some of the best restaurants in the world. And now I'm here sitting with the cleaver like, <laughs> man, I need to get this $1,500, man. I got to get it. So I eventually get the money from selling basketball cards and from, from this gig, right. And borrowing money and whatever the case is, this is the most amount of money that I've ever had in my life, mind you, right. For some people, $15, whatever, it's the most money I ever had. I go onto the website and I don't even want to click it because it's the most money I've had. I don't even want to buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to buy it. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm just going to hold it. Cause you get scared. Super super scary, dude. And I don't even know what the hell this is, right? Yeah, I don't even know what this is. So anyway, we end up putting the money in. Best investment of my life (laughs) um, ever. (laughs) And I I make the most money I've ever made in my life. It went from $1,500 to being worth $45,000 at a high of Mm $60,000. That's right now. I I predict it could go up. Oh, it's just the beginning of that. It's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. Most money I've ever made. This is incredible. I... I had freedom in a sense. I, what I, so like, like I said, that transition of freedom, yep. what I understood was that investing equals freedom. Mm-hmm. When you start to invest, you start to build up your assets. Now that's, what, that's, that's freedom because the goal is, is to be able to have free time to do what you want, whether you have a family, whether you want to go to a restaurant, whether, like the goal is to have time. When you get older, you realize the goal is to have time. So investing equals freedom to me. Now at this current state of where I'm at, all I want to do is acquire the most assets and, and bet on myself and invest in myself. So that way I can get to freedom. Mm-hmm. Just time. Um, best investment in my life, craziness, uh, amazing community, the V Friends community. Everybody is really nice and kind for the most part. And uh, really just like a really dope, dope community. It really is. Um, it, it's incredible, man. And I gained so much value from that. And uh, I just, what I read through, there was this, there was this, there's this video of guys saying and it and it makes so much sense basically don't do what gary's like don't do what gary says do what he's doing mm-hmm. and he said that's how he was able to make millions and et cetera, et cetera. so for me that outlook has always been like all right gary is 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 saying things i don't want to be a consumer of gary's i want to be a partner of gary's mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and in order to do that, I have to do what he's doing. So he dropped the NFT project. I need to figure out how to drop the NFT project. You know, he's dropping the YouTube video. I need, he's dropping content. I need to figure out how to do it. And you're doing your own respect. It's not trying to be like anyone. It's mm-hmm. more so this is how you get to where you want to go. You know yep. what I'm saying? Um, and yeah, I just started executing on it. And I figured out a way that it could help others and that it has good behind it. And it's something that I believe in. I, I believe wholeheartedly in this project. Um, I believe in my future. I believe in me as a founder, as an executor, because that's very important. Um, and then what we're doing, we're trying to showcase other artists. Like, so it's not just for the 
it's not just for the founding artist that's a part of the first season, but I want to be able to showcase other artists. I want to be able to take, you know, my man's from the hood that's, that is cutting hair to stay off the streets and he wants to educate the youth on cutting hair to help them out. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to help fund him with that. I want to introduce him to our community, the noble community, right? I want to introduce him to our community. I want him to create an artwork or create a piece, create some type of value. And I want the, the community, because there's enough money out there, there's enough people, there's a movement, there's a community out there. I want to be able to help him change the world as well. Mm-hmm. And in return, we're changing the world and we're doing it for good, you know? And then that's, that's what it's about. So it's not even just about me. This isn't about me. It's about everyone else. It's about, so it's, it's so much bigger than me, you know? Like, that's why... I fight and I kick down the doors, right? It's for legacy. So once I get through these doors, right? Opportunities that I have, I wanna be able to give to the right people um, and help others. So that's, that's, that's literally what it's about. So um, there's, pro- there's some other things I wanna ask you about, but before we do, I feel like this is a good place to like, for those that are listening that want to jump in on this project that want to follow you that want to connect with the website i feel like uh let's because on the back of that i'm like oh i'm motivated let's drop everything and jump let's just get in and i feel like people want to do that right here www.noblepromisestudios.com www.noblepromisestudios.com you go in there you'll be able to see everything you'll be able to see the money that we're donating to black farmers um, for sustainability and um, you know, food insecurities, which I think is very important. You'll be able to see the team and the artists, the artwork that is incredible and that's beautiful and that's amazing. You'll be able to see the food that I'm creating that's inspired by African-American chefs and African-American stories that I believe are not being told enough. And in return, you can get in part of the cookbook that I'm creating, right? So whenever I receive money or revenues or royalties, well, now you guys are, are as well um, because you guys are a part of the community. Um, and yeah, just follow the journey at sakarismithler.com or Instagram and things like that. And um, just follow the journey. Just, you know, I'm doing so many things, you know, I got an article dropping today, which is going to be a clear, concise way for people to understand it and know everything. Where's that um, dropping? It's going to be, it's going to be on, it's going to be on my Instagram. It's okay. going to be on, it's going to be on medium.com. Medium is a blog yep. company. So if you go on medium, oh, this is what you said you were working on writing when we jumped on. Yeah. 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 yeah, Okay. Okay. So no promise studios, medium, you can Google no promise studios, medium, and you'll be able to see my entire journey and everything kind of clear cut, concise to the point uh, for you guys to understand. And and that's all linked through the website as well. They get to your socials and the medium account read read on the background of that. Um, Dude. So the last, uh, so Okay, this is just man, I'm loving this. Your your story is actually incredible. I know you know that. I'm like, uh, and I'm and it's just and honestly, it's early in the story. You're how old? 27. Yeah, your story is stupid because you're like a baby, right? You're a baby that has these ridiculous, like a lifetime of journey, right? Yep. Um, and 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 I'm just I'm I'm so glad to have connected with you to be able to kind of like walk on this next season of it with you and, and cheer you on and watch what's about to happen now. So just in the last year, since you like learned what an NFT was and Gary said, Oh, buy this NFT. And you kind of bought it as then you dropped the project. Um, But there's been a couple other things um, that have happened because, you know, back when you said, Hey, I went and I wanted this mentorship with him and I, Mm -hmm. I gave him Mm -hmm. this card and then 
Um, so I mentioned at the intro of this, that you're, uh, kind of a fellow sorcerer. So assuming someone listening has no idea, they're like, why I, I would that? be referring to this brother as a sorcerer. Like what's um, a sorcerer? Yeah. So connect. Yeah. Tell everybody about that. And it? then also like, yeah, sorcerer. what's, what's been going on in that sorcerer. arena? What, what's a sorcerer? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man, my dreams came true. It was one of the most life-changing moments. I won a mentorship with Gary Vee. Uh, I actually got denied at first, right? I get an email. I'm sitting at NFT NYC, which is a business conference. I get an email saying you have been denied for the scholarship. Uh, I, I mean, John, when I saw your video, man, I understood why I got denied. You know, my video was li- like, because they asked for a video for people that are listening. Um, my video was literally just me at a computer, like right here, mm-hmm. saying, what would, you, what would you do with the money? I would give it to my mom. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, so I wouldn't good. sell it. I wouldn't sell it. Your mom. I wouldn't sell it, but if I, I wouldn't sell it, that's my first off. I wouldn't sell it. Right. Uh, but if I had to sell it, so I don't get disqualified for the, for the question that you're actually asking, you know, I'll give it to my mom. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. So you and I have a little bit of a curse of knowledge here because we know this journey and I want to yep. assume someone has it. So back up a little bit. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, we okay. had to make a video. Um, and okay. I, and this is, I actually think your version of this story is the most interesting <laughs> because of this piece. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. this NFT so, project drops called V friends, you buy into it, right. but there was this opportunity. Right, so, so yeah, let me, let me explain. Basically Gary, as I said, time is the most valuable asset. So Gary basically kind of sold his time to people. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, he sold his access. There was NFTs that you can buy that you can go bowling with him. You can play checkers with him. I just one saw of NF- people bowling with him the other night. Right. They all got exactly. up. Yeah. Right. So one of the NFTs access tokens is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, is actually a mentorship. It's five individuals that can be chosen. Right. And you cannot buy this. You have to apply for it. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people apply for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only you. And basically what you get with this is a mentorship from Gary. Right. So, over the next year, you get five Zoom meetings with him. Now, in return, right there, that alone is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah. You know, mentor says like, you know, 45 minutes with him of his time. I mean, people are paying six figures to do this. They right? absolutely are. Yep. And, and then on top of that, you're getting 30 hours of resources that he has, whether that's, you know, his Vayner ex uh, chairman, his media people. It's just any of his resources um, that he thinks can help you in your journey he's throwing at you. So it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and you get an NFT that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> so it's, probably it's, one of the most valuable in the series, probably one of the most valuable yeah. NFTs in the series. So it's a life-changing experience. Um, you know, and I apply for it and I get through the first round. You have to write an essay. The second round comes and you have to uh, send in a video. And, you know, John's video here is edited and beautiful and great answer. And, you know, my video, my dad just died, mm-hmm. like maybe a few days before. Was, that, really, was it that recent before? Yeah, super yeah. duper that super duper that recent. I sit at my computer and I tell them, like, listen, if, if I got the money, like, I would give it to my mom because my dad just died and, like, we're going through it right now. You know, I said it in a professional way, but that's literally what I would do. That's the fucking truth. And I was like, the, que- the question was, if you sold it, what would you do with the money? Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna if give you it to sold mom. it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, listen, I'll give it to my mom. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're struggling right now. Every case is true. I would do. 
it's the real answer. Close my laptop. I was like, this is it. Simple. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. Long story short, I get denied. I get denied. And um, it sucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought I was going to win it because I had, I gave him this basketball card. I was like, he has to remember me and all these things, whatever. Mm-hmm. I get denied. I, I see Andy, who's the president of VFriends, which is an NFT project, one of his companies. I see him in the street and I go up to him. And I say, hey, man, I tell him my story. He you, saw and, you saw Andy on the street. I saw like, Andy it was at, like an event, right? You saw him It was an there. event. Yeah, yeah, he was outside of an event. Okay. I saw Andy and everybody's going crazy. Like, Yo, what's up, Gary. man? <laughs> yeah, everybody's going crazy towards Gary. I'm nervous because I, I don't even like, you know, I'm nervous. Yeah. But I'm like, all right, let me go talk to him. So I, I push myself to go talk to him. I'm like, hey, hey Andy, like, my name's Sakari. I'm acting nervous as hell. You know, I thought I messed up. He stops me halfway through my spiel or whatever. And he's like, did you apply for the social scholarship? I was like, yes. And he was like, he read, he read my essay, actually. I was, he was the person, I think this is God, honestly. Like he, he remembers like, you. He remembers me. And he's the person that read my essay. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of odd chances mm-hmm. is that? It's the weird, crazy stuff, you know? It wasn't just somebody that was part of the committee that like heard of me. He's the person that read my essay. So I tell him my story, he cuts me off halfway. He's like, man, you have a great story. Um, you know, I would just recommend to do this, 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 whatever the case is. He helps me get into the wine party the next day or so. The next mm-hmm. day, I think, or later that day, they have a wine party. He helps me get in because not a lot of people can get in. Um, he comes up to me, he's like, hey man, listen, like, like you know, I want to help you get in and, and, and like really like, just very nice. He was very nice. Uh, I tell him, like, listen, man, I got denied, but I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not even going to tell you, like, why you messed up or whatever. I'm not even going <laughs> to tell you. I don't like, no. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I love that. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get to the top one way or another. Like, Gary says, Mazeltov. Like, Mazeltov. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be at the top, whatever. And then we're going to have a conversation. It's just not, it's just not right now. It's my right time. So he, he kind of nods his head and he's like, that's why you were, that's why, that's why you were, that's why you made it past the second round. He just walks away. The next day, Gary posts the card that I gave him. The same card out of nowhere. Incidentally, coincidentally. It, I don't know. It's really the weird. The next morning, he posts the, the card. How, er, how long ago had you given him this card? Like months ago. Months earlier, you gave him months a card earlier. at some other event. You walk out and hand him the card. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And then the, the next, next day, day after this after event, I get denied. After I get denied, the next okay, day, he posts a picture of the card. He posts a picture of the card that I gave him out of nowhere and said, Obsessed. That's all it said? That's all it said. Obsessed. <laughs> That's it. For me, it meant the world. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to tag me. He didn't. It was that the card that I gave him, he gets lots of gifts. Yeah. You know how I many people that day that I gave him a card gave him a card as well? Mm-hmm. Multiple people. Mm hmm. Yeah. Multiple people. I've known several people that just randomly like, oh, we sent they him, give this him gifts thing. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People give him gifts all the time, mm-hmm. but it's the thought and the intent behind it that I think really broke through. And when I speak to Gary, I, I mean, I can't wait to have this conversation with him. But the fact that I studied this man for so long and I knew that he would love this car, you know, and I ended up giving it, and it came out of nowhere. He ended up posting a car, saying obsessed. The next day after that, I get an email saying you've been reconsidered for this. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So did you <laughs> did you reply to that tweet? Did you... I, of course I replied. Yes, I replied to it. <laughs> okay. I replied saying, "Man, I'm so happy that this. I'm so happy that this uh, 
thing that I <laughs> yeah like like not trying to sure. make it about me subtly but, like, but oh yo I'm really like, glad you appreciated you that <laughs> yeah, like, this is the card that I got you I spent over a year trying yeah. to get you like it meant so much to me it wasn't just a gift that I was just like yo here bro yeah. yo yeah. nice to meet yeah. you bro it was like I made a documentary on this like there's like there's receipt I have receipts you can go on YouTube <laughs> Go to you your go YouTube. YouTube channel. Y'all need to go, go watch this. Go I, I did actually watch it. I did. <laughs> I have a documentary on the card itself, on the basketball player itself, on Gary himself. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and when he didn't want the card at first, because mind you, I, I was able to, I was trying to sell him the card at first. He didn't want it at first. He said no. He was, he was drowning in COVID. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He didn't want it at first. I got it regraded and I gave it to him and he loved it. And somehow, some way, I get reconsidered for the scholarship. And some way, somehow, I get picked for the scholarship. And here we are. And you have no idea. Is that connected? Is that I have no incidental? idea. I just believe in God. I'm a very special person. I believe in God. Too. I think Me everything too. happens. I think everything happens for a reason. Um, it's just really, it's just really weird that after I get denied, you know, he posts the card. And, you know, I think a couple of days before that, or something, I, I told him, I was like, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do in the next 10 years for the rest of my mm-hmm. life. He likes the tweet, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, but I don't know what it was, you know, and then, you know, Andy, obviously, after speaking to Andy, he said that he, he obviously mentioned something to them, and they thought that I would be a good candidate, and obviously, just to let people know, like, I still had to perform, like, it, it wasn't just like, oh, I told my story, and then I got it, it was like, I had to go through the interview process to see if I would like, be selected. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just picked. I had to be. Selected. Oh, you were put. So you were just put back into the third round because so it went letter, video, interview. Yeah. I didn't and get you got brought person. in for the interview. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I got brought in for the interview. Um, it's still not a chance that I. 100% you were just put it. back into the bunch of into people because yeah. now there's at that point, I believe there was 15. Like, there's like 15, I think, yeah. people or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's three different groups. Yep. You know, I got put back in, in, in one of the people that might get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just left my heart on the sleeve. Dog. I said everything that I could in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I went into that thing, I said, man, I don't even care if I get it. I was like, F this scholarship. I don't care anymore. Because I felt so, I don't want to say defeated. I already I felt, lost it. I already, I already got rejected. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> You already rejected you, me. You can't lose anything at this point. Yeah. So I was like, I don't care. I already got like, who cares? So I went in there, man. I, I, I told him everything, man. I literally just wore my heart on the sleeve. And, um, and then I got it. And here we are. And now we're having this conversation. Well, and yeah, so this is actually how we met. So I have a very similar story without the rejection letter, right? We get brought <laughs> into this. We are two of the five sorcerers that got selected. They get us on a call, introduce mm-hmm. us to one another. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, this is just weird because it's brothers and sisters that just feel cut from the same cloth a little yep. bit. Like yep. it, it was like the, in so many ways, right? Like, yep. I mean, in value, in, in temperament, yep. in all of these different things, it's like, oh, wow, that someone put some real thought into this little crew. And yep. we've been getting to know each other, developing relationships. And then, like you said, so we've had, we at this point, uh, just point in time, because I'm sure like we'll be more to the story down the road, but for those mm-hmm. listening, we've had our first meeting with Gary. They actually had multiple that were supposed to be set up already. But after his first time talking to us, he's like, you know what? They, I want to introduce them to a bunch of folks in my network. I don't want to waste these meetings. And so they put, pushed them back, which I'm actually 
really excited about, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, good. They're not just going to crank these out and check this right. off. It's like, let's have some intentionality. Well, there's multiple people. Now, Sakari is the chef in the group, <laughs> but there is a lot of food in the group for different different arenas, food insecurity, things like that, food and technology. Um, yep. Not everybody, but it's pretty, there's a pretty good number of us. And so one of the um, groups that we got to meet with, and I just, I wanted to bring this up one, just like for those listening as like, for example, this kind of mentor network thing, but also like, I actually specifically wanted to ask you after your story as chef and NFTs and the way and your dreams of where you're going. So, so along the way through this story, VFENS drops, we're being brought in this thing, but Gary, who's launching businesses right and left all the time yep. under VaynerX, yep. it's just unbelievably ridiculous how many things they're spinning out. They launch what they call VCR group. So it's this like restaurant group, this like little crew of yep. um, restaurateurs that are going to launch this kind of new concept or concepts with restaurants, but they, they and just for, I know you know this, but for those listening there, they launch a... Um, it's called the flying fish club, right? Is that the yep. right name of it? They yep. launched the flying fish club, which is going to be a uh, member kind of restaurant that you have to hold this NFT to come yep. eat at, to come be yep. a part of this thing. And so they auction off these NFTs. Um, and then when they kind of meet with us initially, they said, Oh, you know what? These guys are interested in NFTs. There's overlap with food. These yep. are founders their hospitality, you know what, let's get them to meet. So we got on one of those mentor calls that we're kind of going through that he's lining up for us with uh, the VCR group. Yep. That's enough of an intro to that. I wanted to hear about your experience with that call. Um, yep. And then also just, it just seemed like really uh, specifically in line with your work yep. goals. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. So one of the most incredible things that anybody can do is dream. Mm. I think that when you understand that you can literally close your eyes and visualize whatever you want and it can happen is an incredible, incredible tool to use. I say that to say I dreamt, literally closed my eyes of having to sit down with the VCR group. Mm. Because I was like, Gary Vaynerchuk's having a restaurant group. Well, maybe we can partner on Noble Promise and maybe they can help me open my restaurant. I'm like, you know, whatever. And then next thing I know, I'm having to sit down with VCR group. It was something that I dreamt of. You know what I mean? Um, That's how much that moment meant to me. That's so incredible, man. You know what I mean? And uh, to be there and and then I think one of the most incredible parts of that conversation um was the vulnerability the the vulnerability that both sides had uh you know that kind of connection um mm-hmm. with the chef's world with the food world understanding what a Michelin star is understanding what fine dining is they had that context already so they really felt it um it was incredible i think the most important lesson uh that i learned from it is that relationships take time they don't just happen overnight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when you get an amazing opportunity like this to get your foot in the door, you have to realize to be patient because true relationships, true meaningful things that are supposed to happen to you, they will happen to you 
but it takes time. And um, that conversation taught me that life is a long journey and it's going to take some time to create a relationship, um, but it will happen. I, I also would say that talking with those three guys really um, left an impact in the, you know, we talk about like what you want to do, where you want to do it. But like there was such a clear who you do something with might often matter more. Like there, there might be people in your life that you go, I need to stick with these people, whatever mm-hmm. we decide to do. Like, mm-hmm. and, and actually the, the vocation uh, is often like, I'm an artist, I'm a chef. Um, but like, but it occurred to me, they overlapped those, but there was like such a clear value of this beautiful friendship family team that these men had with one another and then that they were now doing the thing that they've trained their entire lives to do but not in it's it's not a job or a place where they're disrespected or a place where they feel disempowered or a place where they feel worked to death but like they may work they may work their fingers to the bone or they may burn the midnight oil but it's like they're they were just so clearly like they didn't leave one another uh after work there wasn't there was like no we're a family no they're a family that worked together right yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was i mean it was I honestly envied it like genuinely. I was like, man, there's something that they have that is so powerful and palpable Beautiful. listening to them talk about their story and how that came to be. Um, and, 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 and it's interesting. So ob- it's not surprising that that stood out to you. Um, and I, I love that, man, there's something, so your version of this whole story is the most mystical version of it. Like it really is like, like you're like, I don't know dad passed. And then I ran into him and then he posted this and like, and then I, I had a dream about this and it's just like genuinely and not like, Oh, cause you frame things that way, but no, like just yeah. as a matter of fact, this is a freaky version of this story. Right. Okay. So, so Crazy. the, the, the thing you just said about relationships though, this out, you said they don't happen overnight and they take yeah. time and yeah. there's a long journey and obviously this is true of interpersonal relationships building family team like you don't walk in and meet someone and go we're best friends and actually there's sometimes where you can really i mean i I think it like dating right you can make the move way too fast right like it's like you can spoil you can (laughs) spend you can spoil the entire potential journey By, by trying to go too fast in intimacy and relationship and things like that. So what I wanted to do though, because part of my goal for the work ethic is to explore our relationship to work and that, and so, as you say, like relationships take time. And I just think like, you know, I think of like, when we're young, we have an idea of what we want to do. It takes time to mature. There's relationship to ourself. There's relationship to our to our environment there's a relationship to other people and i and i guess i just want to like put that statement back to you about relationships taking time because i would go you know that maps a lot to vocation taking time dreams taking time and and i just wanted to ask you um i think it's a quote from nietzsche uh nietzsche however whatever it's i don't i don't speak german but like the um 
he would say there's a the line that's always stuck out to me is this word he said like a long obedience in the same direction and this is actually related to you talking about discipline 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 and there's like this takes time relationships take time i was rejected i didn't give up there's like this tenacity and discipline and longevity to dreams and to relationships and I, I just want to ask you to kind of muse on that just from your own experience, be it in relationship, vocation, kind of what's the abstract out of all of those things, just to kind of like, I hear like a wisdom to be extracted and offered to people listening uh, in all that. The more ambitious you are, the more things that you want to happen for you, the more patient you have to be. It's just that simple. You don't realize it. You don't get it. You're like, I want to be so-and-so and I want to do this. I need to get here by the time that I'm 30 or by the time I'm 35 or by 40, I'm going to have this and so on and so forth. Once you understand that the greatest things in life take time, that it's not going to happen overnight, that it's brick by brick, that it's the roots that you're growing, it's the plants that you seed, the seed that you plant, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, once you realize that, then it's like, you're only going up against yourself. You know? So, it's just, mm. that's, that's, that's literally it. What I, once I realized that, because I'm, I'm not a patient person, you know? But I'm a very ambitious person. So, in order to make my dreams come true, I have to be more patient. Um, once you realize that, man, I think the world is your oyster. I think the sky is the limit. You know what I mean? Not rushing. For example, like going back to what you were saying, if I was trying to rush or push the relationship with VCR group, it kind of messed it up and I could never have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, instead, understanding that things take time and let them blossom to what they'll be. Uh, so I think that patience and I think expectations, you know, mm. expectations for relationships. You know, I think a lot of reasons why we get let down in relationships whether that be with whoever is because we have a high level expectation of it. You know what I mean? We're like, so Oh, true. we expect it. We expect it to this, you know, I'm you're going in here talking about, I expect this to happen for you. Like who the fuck are you to expect anything to happen for you? Word. You better work. You better, you know what I mean? Stay humble, better put your head down and do things that you can to try to make it happen, but don't expect anything. No opportunity is going to be given to you. You have to go out and take it. You know what I mean? You know, in, um, in 12 step meetings, um, in recovery groups, they have a lot of like mantras they repeat to each other. These are really spiritual groups as well. But one of the ones that has stuck with me that I really love is um, about expectations. They say expectations are resentment under construction. Mm. <clears throat> it's or premeditated resentment is another way they'll say that expectations are premeditated resentment. Mm, okay. Um, the only thing you can expect in a relationship is what I told you. You told me we'd get on today at four. I should be able to expect you today at four because you right. keep your word, but anything beyond the explicitly stated, you can expect this from me. And I make this noble promise to you. Then, <laughs> then is a, is a, is a uh, unfair or unarticulated expectation. And we do that in relationship a lot, but I think you're right. We yep. do it in life a lot. And as you were talking about the, the ambition and working really hard and then the need for patience and things taking a long time, it's also interesting. So there's this, uh, and I'm not going to quote this, right? But people say, you know, um, people way overestimate what they can accomplish in a year. 
but they way underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. Mm. And I know for me, that's been really true. Like I write goals every quarter and I'm like, yep. usually I'm like, man, yeah, I gotta, I got it. You get more sober over time as you do that. Like, man, actually that's only this amount of time. Right. Yep. Um, I'm not going to change the world in the next couple months. Like, you know, these, like you do quarterly or the year or review, but then I'm going to review the year. And I look at everything that happened over the year. I'm like, God, that was all this year. And it's a lot in hindsight, right? It seems like weird, like it's taking forever moving forward. But then when I look back, it's like, look mm -hmm. how far we've yep, come. Because yep. as you, it's, it's just not, the irony is not lost on me, at least when, and maybe for those listening, as you're talking about how long things take and how like this long road that you need to walk, which is true that you've done. And also you're 27. It's, it's right. Like look back and go, look at how much you can accomplish by staying the course and by just putting the next foot in front of the next. And, and I, 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 um, I really appreciate you like taking the time to like share kind of this, uh, uh, story. I want to ask you like a couple, maybe one, um, I'll try to ask everybody I talk to, how would you define success? happiness oh yeah you did that earlier you got that locked in okay <laughs> and freedom which is happiness, happiness which is like, freedom. Yeah, yeah, happiness and freedom yeah, happiness and freedom there's i'm gonna go back i want to go back and do all the equals from this episode and like tie them all together i'm actually like <laughs> there's a really good like math problem in here that uh word word thing um is there anything that you is there anything that i should ask you about is there anything that you want to share or that you're like, I should, I should ask you about. Mm, I mean, you did a great job with this interview, man. I just want to so? say like you, you've, you've connected dots that I haven't been able to think about. You've been able to take my feedback and really dig deep and, and really um, it's a superpower of yours. You know what I mean? So uh, it's, it's really hard to say what things I didn't mention, you know, I always want to speak about the reason why I do everything, which is like I said before, which is legacy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really not my, I, the only thing I can say is, man, that I, I'll leave you with a quote from Nipsey Hussle. I love you know, it. He's, he's like, he's like, you got to ask yourself, are you willing to die behind what you're doing? Okay. I, I love this. Um, and I actually, so today's good Friday when we're having to be interviewing this, you said you're, you believe in God, religious. I don't know if Christianity is part of that or not, but incidentally yeah. uh, in the Western world today, you know, it's Easter weekend good coming Friday. up. This is good yeah, Friday. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, a figure that lays his life down for his dream. Right. Mm. And, and that's today. And, and actually, mm. if you looked at my Instagram uh, today, <laughs> I don't know if you saw, Indeed. but I, <laughs> I, I posted this photo that I, I look, I have it hanging here in my office. Um, but it's this Buddhist monk, um, that lit himself on fire in protest and sat meditating while he, I think it's called self emulating, but like literally poured gasoline on him in protest, um, in Vietnam, um, about this repression of Buddhist communities, pours gasoline on himself, sits in perfect stillness and meditation and lights himself on fire. Um, Today, uh, I was thinking about that because of one Good Friday crucifixion, the, this like idea of like being willing to die for something, right? Mm. And then earlier, I was talking to a friend, 
So I'm just like reacting to what you just said, but I'm like, this is timely because I was just talking about this. And I and I actually think it's mapped to everything you've said, actually. And I actually think it's what ties why I think there's some kinship here with us. So earlier I was talking to a friend, you know, we, we share food with folks in the community that, and so every uh, Friday we go share um, food in this neighborhood. And so we were coming back, we were driving back from that and she's a smart college girl. And we were driving back talking and uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs came up, which comes up a lot. Cause it's like, well, are you familiar with that? So you've got like this pyramid of need. And at the base of that is like survival right? So it's like food, water, just like, I need to survive. And, and if that's not in place, like we can't, we can't move up the pyramid. Right. And then, and then after that, you got like security, right? So it's like, so it's basic survival, then you got security. And I might not, for those that really know it, I might not get this all right, but there's like belonging, family, community, like reputation, like uh, what other people think. And uh, let's see, one, two, three, I'm missing one of them there. Uh, but I get the, at the top, there's like self-development, self-improvement. Oh, then it's kind of like, yeah, so it goes then family, belonging, then it's kind of like status or reputation. And then it's like self-development, self-actualization, self-development, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I, it occurred to me, like, because it was because of this, like, Good Friday conversation. I was like, man, you know these people that live, like, these heroic lives uh, that are actually ready to die? Martin King, Jesus, Gandhi. And I start thinking of this guy, this monk lighting himself on fire. That I have this literally mm-hmm. hanging in my office. I look at it every day as, like, a, it's like a symbol of something powerful for me. But I was like, those people? Those are not the things that they care about. Like they need to eat. Sure. But like, like Gandhi will go without food in protest of this government. Right. We, I am not concerned with safety as I march into this segregated town or Mm -hmm. this bus boycott. I am not worried what you think about me and Mm -hmm. me becoming stronger and better. Having some like status reputation isn't what matters. Mm-hmm. is that I'm willing to lay my life down for this thing. Martin King said, you, you haven't even begun to live until you know what you'll die for, which, mm. which resonates with this Nipsey quote, which resonates with the, the life and teaching of Jesus or the heroic figures like Martin King, Gandhi, yep. Ma- yep. Mama T and all these folks. And then also, as you shared about this kitchen, with this community of people that are not here for the job, but for this vocation, for this love, for this passion and this fun in some sense are people that have given up everything else, but this calling and this vocation that they they'll die for the meal. They'll die for the kitchen. They'll die for the table, for the hospitality, for the work ahead of them. And for me, is that the heart of, I don't think any work ethic podcast has ended like this, but like as to say, this is what's at the heart of the work ethic. Like what is, what is it that you'll die for sacrifice for work yeah. on behalf yeah. of what are you building? Um, and actually, I think when I think about freedom, it is the ability to the ability to be free of those concerns to give yourself to the things that'll kill you even when it's the right move. It's like, there's mm-hmm. a type of freedom in that man putting gasoline on himself that I am not, I am not able, like, I don't understand that kind of freedom. 
Yeah. There's a type of freedom to walk into a lion's den. I don't know that kind of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And and so then I wanted to ask you maybe there's a final word and we'll we'll shut this down. I'll let you get to your night, but like that to me resonates with words like faith and hope. And and you said I believe in God. I'm a person of faith. I just want to ask you like as you think about all of that over your story, it, I know that's been like a subtext of this. I just wanted you to say explicitly like what what ha- what is the role of faith in that kind of like long obedience for you? in that kind of persistence, in the kind of like direction you've given yourself and why you even ended with this Nipsey quote. It's like that all threads together for me. It makes a lot of sense. And what I hear is something like the word faith. I love it. I love how you connect the dots there. Um, For me, I think that, you know, when you speak about Martin Luther King going into the kind of like the lion's den and boycotting, you know, Mm -hmm that fearless mentality, right? I think that true growth comes from being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's I think that's what it is. I think that every time I've ever accomplished anything, it's always been uncomfortable for me. You know, and then once I realized that I'm like, okay, I gotta push myself to be more uncomfortable, okay. I got to push myself to be more uncomfortable. Okay. I, I got it. And it's that fearless mentality. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd be, I'm scared of a lot of things, um, but I don't let it hold me back. It's okay to be scared. You know what I mean? But I don't let it hold me back or stop me from, I want what I want so badly, right? I believe my reason why so badly that I'm willing to die behind all these things that I don't let anything stop me. Man. You know what I mean? This is powerful, man. I, 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 this was a, this was a nice, good Friday service for me, honestly, man. Like <laughs> seriously, thank you for this. Thank, thank you. you space, oh, dude. Brother. Yeah. And, and you and I will be uh, doing a lot more, but I, I really appreciate your time. And, and I know we got a lot of calls ahead of us. So, uh, yeah, we do. but yeah, guys we do. go, go, uh, go follow him one more time for those with us. Just like, where can they, where can they get you? What's the website? 100%. So, uh, com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sakari Smithwick. You can follow our TikTok at Noble Promise Studios. Um, and yeah. YouTube is the at. same. YouTube is the same. Noble mm-hmm. Promise Studios. Um, you'll be able to see the full journey. I love being able to document everything because you'll be able to see from point A to point Z. So uh, here we are. And thank you so much for this space. Bro, I love you, man. Thank you so much. Love dude. you back, brother. Love. <laughs>